Uh, so this morning, uh, I want to start out with a short story. Uh, when I was in college, I uh, took this class called Music of the Church. Uh, and some of you are like, I never had that opportunity. Um, I'm sorry. It was actually pretty good. Um, and in that class, uh, we talked about the composers and some of the history of some of the songs uh, in the church. Uh, we talked about uh, how a song is, is put together and some of the dynamics of the song. And there's typically an intro to the song. There's the refrain, the chorus, the solo, um, and all of those things I would have nothing, uh, I would have no knowledge of if I wouldn't have taken that class. I'm not super musical. Uh, but I really appreciated it because you get to understand a little bit of the parts of the song and you begin to appreciate that a little bit more, right? Um, and so what happens is you hear an introduction uh, and it draws you into the song. You hear a refrain or a chorus or a verse and it puts you back to those moments where you were. So um, without, uh, with the danger of being a little cheesy this morning... Um, I'm going to give you a couple introductions, and I want you to tell me what the song is, okay? So if you don't participate, it's going to get really awkward, okay? Um, i got to remember how the tune goes, right? dun 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 Anybody? Indiana Jones, there you go. And what happens in that introduction? It pulls you right into the song. It pulls you right into the movie, right? Anybody? Star Wars, there you go. And so what happens in a song, and it bring, the introduction actually pulls you in. And for many of you, you're like, man, I'm going to watch Star Wars or Indiana Jones this afternoon. And it proves my point, right? The intro pulls you in in such a way that you have to be a part of the song. And in some ways, we have introductions to song. And we have these choruses or refrains that repeat, like in the early 90s, we had this song, Chumbawamba, I get knocked down, but I get up again. Anybody heard that? All right. So what's the main theme of the song is you get knocked down and you get up again, right? And they repeat it over and over and over and you can't forget it. You're welcome, right? And so what happens is these songs that we sing, they help us either to draw us in with an introduction or there's the chorus and the refrain that repeats over and over and over again that reinstates that, actually cements in us the truths, right? And so here's what David does in Psalm 30. Is he draws us in with this introduction. He draws us in and he says, I will exalt you, Lord. And this theme that he wants to really press into us is our sermon title for today, is he's is here's the sermon title, The Favor of the Lord Lasts a Lifetime. The Favor of the Lord Lasts a Lifetime. And what he wants to do is he wants to draw us into that refrain that is repeated over and over again in this psalm in all kinds of different creative ways. And the way that he draws us in is he's saying, hey, the Lord's favor is over my life. And so he begins this song with, with I will exalt you, Lord. Because you have lifted me up. And so he draws us in, and so we begin to ask questions like, well, how is the Lord lifted David up? And so the intro brings us in. It may not be as good as a Star Wars intro, because we've heard that too often, or in Indiana Jones, 
but it should have the same weight and the same drawing because this theme, this banner, is actually across the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. So I'm going to give you a couple examples of those, but before I do, our main idea that we're going to tackle today is the Lord's anger lasts for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. The anger of the Lord is lasts for a moment, but the favor of the Lord lasts a lifetime. So as we dive into Psalm 30, I want to re-kind of introduce you to a theme, if you're not as familiar with it, is this exaltation, this lifting up of the Lord. And so four verses that I want to um, give you this morning, if you're like, hey, I don't know if I really believe you, um, hopefully these will be convincing, a little bit more convincing for you. Psalm 29, if you have not listened to last week's sermon, Brother Eric, thank you for your faithfulness there, brother, um, and just helping us understand how we ascribe value and worth to the Lord in his work and creation. So I want to start with that one, verses 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. You see the exaltation of the Lord. Psalm 63, 3, my lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. Isaiah 25, 1, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have accomplished wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. And lastly, Revelation 4, 11, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things. And because of your will, they exist and they were created. This theme of exalting the Lord isn't just found in some places, but it's actually found throughout the scriptures. In Psalms, we learn how to do that. I think it's, in some ways we struggle to do that because of our lives are a little bit busy but what David's helping us do is to lift up, to see the overarching theme of Scripture, and to see that the Lord's favor over us is for a lifetime. And some of the ways that David describes how the Lord's favor has actually worked in and through his life, we see some of those details actually played out as, as Jamie read. We see some of those hardships, that he had enemies, that he had a sickness, that he had these different things in his life that actually could destroy him, but actually the Lord's favor over him brought him through all of that. So as we walk through Psalm 30, I hope that you see the big picture, but you also see the small nuances of how this, the frustrations, the struggles, sometimes the anger of the Lord and how that plays out, but yet the overarching banner is the favor of the Lord for the Christian is forever. So I want to read verses 1 through 3 again. I will exalt you, Lord, because you have lifted me up and have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Lord, my God. These are very personal words. This word Lord in verse 2 is actually Yahweh, a very personal God who is actually there with David in his trial. David says, I cried for help and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from Sheol. You spared me from among those going down to the pit. And so as David says, um, as he exalts the Lord, that language there is actually uh, of a builder. Some of you are in the masonry area. Some of you are in the uh, remodeling business. And you would know that as a builder starts 
at one level, and as they bring up a wall, you bring that wall up higher than yourself. You actually see the framework of the building being built. You see the house being lifted up. And so David says this, I will lift you up. I will exalt you, Lord. I think for many of us, we can resonate with that because that which David values is what he lifts up. And I think in some ways, we do that in some, way, some prideful ways, but in some ways, we just lift up the things that we value. So if you're into crafts or if you're into those types of things, you like to talk about the, those things. You lift up the things that you value. Now, can that be sinful? Sure. But a lot of times, we just talk about the things that we value. Or if you're into sports, sometimes you talk about your glory days. That might be borderline prideful. Uh, but for those of you who have nieces or nephews or kids in your GC and you go and watch them play flag football or basketball, you talk about the things that you want to lift up and say, hey, man, I saw this, this happened. Or maybe at work, you are seeing some success, you're seeing some things happening, so you're excited about that, and so you lift up those things of value. I, th- I don't think these are like abnormal things, but here's what David does, is he says, hey, I'm going to lift up not only the things that the Lord does, but I'm going to lift up that which who the Lord is. So he's lifting up what the Lord does, but he's actually lifting up the character and the person and the worth of Christ, and more specifically, of the Lord and his God who has brought him up from Sheol, which is the grave, and the the same Lord that brought him up from the pit, which is death itself. Verse 1, David says, I will exalt you, Lord, because you lifted me up. So I don't know if you've ever seen a real well, uh, but what that picture is, is David's actually fallen into a well. Now, I don't think it's a literal situation, but what David has got himself into is he has really seen that there's no way out. I'm in a place of no escape. I'm in a place where I cannot turn anywhere else. I'm in a place of despair where the grave is calling me. The pit is knocking at my door. And David says, you have lifted me up, Lord. So figuratively, he's saying the Lord has actually taken a rope that is strong enough, taken a pail and actually put it down into the well, and as the Lord is pulling him up, David is exalting the Lord. David says, I will exalt you, Lord, because when I was desperate, when I was in need of rescue, when I was in a place where I could not rescue myself, you were my way out. When I was eight, I think some of you have heard this, I was scared of the dark, and if I didn't turn to the Lord, there was no way out. In high school, I was driving a snowmobile, and I had a friend on the back, and we were going 40, 50 miles an hour. We hit a barbed wire fence. And I, don't be- I-, I believe this with my whole heart, that if the Lord didn't provide a way out, I would no longer be here. When I was in college and wrestling with some of the temptations and the addictions that I was stuck in, I believed that the Lord was my only way out. And so like David, I believed that I was in the same place as him. I was in the same place that if the Lord didn't intervene, if the Lord didn't step in, if the Lord wouldn't be my Savior, wouldn't be my God, if the Lord wouldn't step into those circumstances, There is no way that I would have gotten out. 
I was talking to a friend this week, and we were talking about how uh, sometimes life is hard. Uh, and sometimes um, balancing uh, work and life and GC and all those types of things, they can burn you out. Uh, you can get to a place where you become apathetic, or you can get to a place where it just, what is this all about? And so we were talking about actually living this life for the long run. We're not running this life short term and then things go well and then we burn out and then we crash, right? I think for most of us, we want to run this race with perseverance. We want to get to the end of this life and we're joyful, we're excited, we're still, the same passion is moving in our heart and we get to the end and we say, thank you, Lord, I exalt you for your faithfulness is over my life. And so we're talking about this, and for me, I begin to think of all the different ways that uh, we get kind of burnt out. I begin to think of the things that keep me going, and, and personally, I don't know what keeps you going, but the thing that keeps me going is the mission of God. When I lay down at night and I'm exhausted, and I see the work of the Lord happening in people's lives, I get excited. I may be physically tired, but I go to bed excited and energized. When I see my neighbor actually wrestling through life and asking questions and actually turning to the Lord, that gets me excited. When I see you as the church actually demonstrating the faithfulness of the Lord, even in hardship, in the moments that you need help the most, I get excited because I see the work of the Lord and I see the faithfulness of God and even know that life brings its crazy trials, even though there's suffering, even though there's things that make you want to throw in the towel, great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Got way ahead of myself in my notes here. I know that some of us um, are new in the room. Uh, you might not have been at First City for a while. Um, but here's what I will tell you, that First City Church exists first and foremost to glorify God. And I'm going to repeat that again because I think so many of us, we say that and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. First City Church exists first and foremost to glorify God, period. We exist to lift up Jesus Christ. We exist to bring glory to the Lord. We exist to worship Jesus because we know that if Jesus doesn't build his church, then it's not worth it. But if Jesus builds his church and the gates of hell, guess what, church? It will not prevail because if we don't abide in Christ, we cannot bear fruit. But if we abide in Christ, we will bear much so here's what I can tell you. If you're new in the room, and I know some of you are, and some of you are still trying to wrestle out, is First City Church for me? Here's what I will tell you. That in some ways, we're a church plant. In a lot of ways, we are, I guess. Um, but in many ways, it's going to be some hard work. You're going to have conflict with people. Your kids aren't going to want to go to First City Kids on some days, not because it's not awesome, but because there's issues going on. Uh, you're going to make meal and bring it to GC and realize it's not a potluck night. You're going to make food and it's going to get to GC and it's cold and somebody's going to complain. Uh, you're going to get to First City Kids and your kids aren't going to 
enjoy it. I don't know why, because it's awesome, right? But there are situations in the life of our church that just aren't going to play out the way that you hoped. But here's what I will tell you. You will meet a people here who love Jesus. You will meet a people here that exists for the glory of God. You will meet a people here who will sacrifice greatly. You will meet a people here who are super generous. You will meet a people who will lend you their car. You will meet a people who will give you a car. You will meet a people who will let you live in their house. Those must be the crazy ones. Just kidding. Right? You will meet a people who live their life for the glory of God because there's nothing else to live for. And so if that seems like a church that you want to be a part of, I want to invite you in. There's going to be some brokenness. There's going to be some frustrations. You're not going to like your leader sometimes. You're not, GC isn't going to go the way that you hoped it would be. But here's what I will tell you. That the faithfulness of the Lord, that the favor of the Lord over his people will continue to work day in and day out. And we want to exalt the Lord together. I want to move to verse 4. David says, Sing to the Lord, you his faithful ones, and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. So right on the heels of David giving exaltation to the Lord is reminding us of the ways that, and the nuances of how the Lord has saved him. The Lord has pulled him up out of the pit. He wants to bring this contrast. And this contrast is this, that the Lord's anger is momentary, but the favor of the Lord is overarching all of that. And so I think some of us, we wrestle with that because it's hard to see how could the anger of the Lord be momentary, and sometimes I think I may feel that and wrestling that out, but yet also knowing the overarching truth that the favor of the Lord lasts a lifetime. So I want to be careful here because I think there's a nuance that we need to wrestle out. So in Romans chapter 1, this is true. Romans chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet, this other truth is true in Proverbs 3.12, is that the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as the Father, the Son, he delights in. Meaning, this truth is true. That when Jesus comes again, that when Jesus first came, that he took care of our sin. He died on the cross, he, he rose again, and that life, if we are in Christ, we are in him. We have a new life. The old has gone and the new has come. But this is also true that we wrestle and we invite in sin and we lay into some of the struggles of our life. We begin to, begin to believe those and we wrestle out, should I do this on my own? Should I persist in this sin? Is this more worthy of the Lord than he is? And so we struggle. We let sin creep in. We let it take hold. And so these truths are true at the same time. The Lord is favor over us, but yet the Lord is angry with those sins that we continue to struggle with. 
But here's the truth in, in Proverbs 3, is that the Lord doesn't discipline us in anger. The Lord doesn't look at us and say, I'm so angry with you, I'm going to discipline you. What does Proverbs 3 say? It says that the Lord's anger comes because he loves us. That his anger is towards the sin, it's, it's towards the things of this broken world, and yet he loves us in the middle of that suffering, in the middle of that sin that we're wrestling through. So if you're in hardship this morning, I want to invite you. The Lord wants to invite you to see that his favor over you is for a lifetime. Now I think it's a good time if, if you have time this week, I would encourage you, there's a couple passages that I want you to look at and just kind of look at in David's life. So in Psalm 30, there's a, there's a, a pretty good example of how David had sinned and the anger of the Lord was not really, was angry towards David's sin. And so here's, a, here's an example of that. If you want to read that later this week, uh, it's in 2 Samuel 24, um, the, chronicle, uh, the chronicler of the history of Israel and of the Old Testament. If you want to read that in a different place, it's in 1 Chronicles 21 and 22. And here's how the story goes. So David writes this psalm with the backdrop of how the Lord has been faithful in his life. And so I can't imagine um, that there were, uh, I can imagine that there were a lot of situations where the Lord actually brought up in his mind the ways that the Lord had moved him in a direction to worship him instead of falling back into sin. And so in 2 Samuel 24 and in 1 Chronicles 21, 22, it was the year 975 BC. David was approximately 60 years old and he's sitting on his throne looking over Israel and he looks at Israel and he says, man, look at this power. Look at this might. And in that moment, he calls his commander-in-chief, Joab, and he says, Joab, go and count my army. Go and count, the mag- go and count the majesty of my nation. Go and count the power of my kingship. And Joab, and I'm just paraphrase here, and Joab in his kindness says, David, you have a big army. You have a great nation. Why do you need to do that? Trying to curb his pride away from what he's just about to do. And so David gives the command again and says, Joab, go and count. Go and take a census. And so so Joab goes through Israel and he goes through Judah and he counts the might of David's army. And he counts the people and the wealth and the strength of his nation. And what happens is Joab goes through the nation of Israel and goes through the nation of Judah and he comes back to David and he reports back the strength of his army and the strength of of his might and his kingship. And here's what it says in 2 Samuel 24.10. As soon as Joab told him the number, David's conscience troubled him because his pride had driven him to trust in his strength and not the Lord's. The next morning, the word of the Lord came to Gad the priest and, and the Lord gave Gad the priest this message for David. Go and tell David this. You have three consequences that you can choose from. Consequence number one is that you can have three years of famine. Consequence number two, David, you choose. You can have your enemies chase you for three years, three, sorry, three months, and you can run from them. 
And I can only imagine David's thought of like, man, I ran from Saul. I ran from Absalom. I'm 60 years old. I don't really want that one. And the third option is you can choose plague. Plague can come to your nation. Diminishing the strength and the might of your kingdom. And so David replies to the prophet, I have great anxiety. Please let us fall into the Lord's hands because his mercies are great. But don't, please don't let me fall into the hands of humans. So this angel comes and a plague comes to the land and 70,000 people die. And as this angel is standing there, he's holding up his sword for battle, for judgment, and he extends it towards Israel, and the Lord says, enough, stop. And this place that this angel is standing on is actually the threshing floor. The threshing floor was a place where grain would be brought And oxen and animals would walk on the grain, and the grain would fall to the ground, and there would be a pitchfork or a winnowing fork that would be thrown in the air. And in the wind, the chaff and the stock of the wheat would blow, and the grain would fall to the ground. And I can only imagine that as David is seeing this angel stand on the threshing floor, that he's seeing the Lord sift him. He's seeing the Lord actually bring some judgment towards his sin. And David is in fear. Uh, If you read in other passages, David actually never goes back to the temple because of this experience. He sees this warrior angel and he's terrified. And so what happens is, as you read through uh, Chronicles and as you read through 2 Samuel, you'll notice that Aruna is named as one of the names and Ornan is named in the other chronicle, and it's just another variation of the same name. And what you find is that on this threshing floor, as the Lord is sifting David, you realize that there's other stories in the Bible that actually relate. And so with that, I want to share with you a couple others that in Psalm 30, notice at the very beginning of it, it says, a psalm of David, a dedication song to the house of David. So this connection here is if you read ahead in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, it says, Then Solomon began to build the temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the site David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So the same place that David goes up and builds an altar to the Lord, David says, Lord, I have sinned. Would you relent from your anger? Would you turn your favor back to me? And so David says this, would you turn your anger away from your people? Would you judge me? I'm the one who has sinned. I'm the one who has done wrong against you. I'm the one. The same place that this angel was standing and David builds this altar to the Lord is actually the same place that the temple will be built. It's actually the same place. Another person, if you go back to Genesis, I want to share with you because I, I want to encourage you with this, that the Lord's work continues to work through his people. His faithfulness is 
from generation to generation. If you go to Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, we read, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, Here I am. Take your son, he said, your only son whom, the mount, um, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. The land of Moriah is the same place that David built an altar to the Lord. Now, I don't know if this is the exact same place. The Bible is unclear, but it's in the same vicinity. This place of Mount Moriah is the same place that the Lord was doing a work in Abraham. The Lord was continuing to do a work in his people through David, and the Lord continues to do a work in us today. Another way to translate for his anger in verse 5 is, is another way in the Old Testament is actually translate for his suffering. For his anger and suffering last but a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. You see, for both Abraham offering his son and the Lord providing a ram and David actually seeing the punishment for his sin and the Lord providing an oxen, the Lord was doing the same work in both of them and the Lord continues to do the same work in us today. You see, the truth is, is that there will be days of suffering. There will be days where we are tempted and we provoke the Lord to anger. But the Lord's discipline over us isn't in anger, it's in love. So I want to hear you, I want, Christian, I want, to, I want you to hear this this morning. That your suffering, your sin, your failures, your lack of spiritual passion, these are momentary. For the Lord's favor over you is for a lifetime. How can the Lord be angry at sin? How can the Lord's anger actually be in these moments and yet his favor be over a lifetime? Well, I believe all of that is actually dependent on the Lord's mercy. If you go back to 2 Samuel 24 um, and we stop at the place where David is wrestling out with the Lord and the angel is standing there, David says, please let this, this fall on me, Lord, because your mercies are great. Don't let me fall into the hands of humans. In verse 17, it says, look, I'm the one who has sinned. I'm the one who's doing wrong, but these sheep, they have done nothing. I think it's pretty powerful that David doesn't run away from the Lord in this moment. I think it's pretty powerful that he doesn't want his life to be put in the hands of men. That in the moment of discipline that David is saying, put me in the hands of the Lord. Put me in the hands of the Lord because I know in this discipline that the Lord's mercy is still for me. I, for me, I, I think that's something I've struggled with my whole life. When I'm in struggle, when I'm in sin, I think everything in my fiber, I want to run away. Because in the same way Adam and Eve hid in shame, I have the same temptation. And here's what David does. Is he says, because of your mercy, because you hold back what I deserve, I would rather be in the discipline of the Lord than in the hands of men. So I want to ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe it's better to be in the hands of the Lord in discipline than in the hands of men? 
The Lord's mercy actually holds back what we deserve, and the Lord's grace extends to us what we do not deserve. And here's the truth, that the Lord's mercy actually leads us to repentance. So that these moments of sadness, these moments of weeping, actually can lead into mornings of joy. Romans 2, 1 through 4 says, Therefore, if, uh, as, as one of you judges, sorry, therefore, as one of you who judges is without excuse, for when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same. We know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on truth. Do you really think that any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, his restraint, his patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance? If you are a Christian in the room, God's mercy leads us to repentance. If you are someone in the room who is not yet a Christian, God's mercy is to lead you to repentance. Repentance isn't something that we can conjure up, but it's, it's the work of God in our heart that we turn away from the things of this world and we turn to him. The anger of the Lord is for a moment, but his favor over you, church, is for a lifetime. For Abraham, the Lord provided a substitute for his son in the bush, and it was a ram. For David, he provided a substitute for the destruction of Israel, and it was in the form of worship on the altar. It was an oxen. For you and me, the Lord displays his mercy toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in rebellion, while we were still in a place where we did not want God, God sent his one and only son that we might not perish, but that we might have eternal life. The Father has sent a substitute. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now at work in the disobedient. We too all previously lived. We too also used to live among them in the fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. Church, you are saved by grace. The Lord's favor is over you for a lifetime. The offer is to all. The Lord says, come and experience my mercy. Come and experience what it is like to have those momentary afflictions actually lead you to a place where you experience the work of the Lord, where you experience the work of his church, where you experience the work of the Spirit in the world. And we see people who go to the Lord and would rather have their life lean into the Lord than have their lives put in the hands of men. So we're wrapping up here. This is why David says in verse 7, Lord, when you showed me your favor, I stood like a strong mountain. 
It's in contrast to verse 6 where David actually boasts of his prosperity and the Lord hid his face and David was dismayed. And so David stands on this mountain. He says, I will not be moved. As he stands on the mountain, he experiences the favor of the Lord. And he says, come you enemies. Come you evildoers. Come Sheol. Come pit. For I am standing on this mountain. And I will not be moved. Because on this mountain, the favor of the Lord is over me. And even though this life will bring these momentary afflictions, here is the truth of God's word for you this morning. That there will be weeping. There will be sadness. But these will come and visit you in the evening. And when the evening finishes, and eight hours, or I'm horrible at time, and a few hours later, when the sun dawns, And the sun rises. There will be joy in the morning. This is why David can finish the psalm with verses 11 and 12. He says this, You turned my lament into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. You see, in David's life, He can praise the Lord forever because he is standing on the mountain of God's faithfulness over his life. The struggles that we have in this life, the sins that we battle, those are momentary. For the Lord's favor is over his church, not only in this life, but in the life to come. The anger is only for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime.